You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Woo! Here we go. It is Thursday. First off, I want to say sorry that I didn't get this podcast out on Wednesday. I've been really busy. I'm in the middle of buying a home and trying to get my current home on the market. So, I don't, if, if any of you guys are familiar with that, it can be a real son of a bitch. Uh, so the last two straight days are probably you know four hours of sleep with painting and cleaning and putting in fixtures and replacing fixtures and, and making sure everything works. And then the photographer came in today and it's just been crazy at my house recently. So I had to take a couple days off work. I'm probably going to have to take tomorrow off which is Thursday which is the day that you guys are actually listening to this podcast but what we have today in the midst of all that chaos I was able to interview a guy named Brent Metcalf now if you're from Iowa and you or you follow collegiate wrestling or Olympic wrestling at all you know that Brent is a wrestler and he or as my as my father-in-law would say a wrestler but uh, he's a wrestler, and uh, he went to the University of Iowa, where he won some national championships. He uh, competed in like world championships and Olympic championships and all that stuff. And but we're not going to talk about that because if you know who he is, then you also you already know all that stuff. But we're going to talk to uh, Brent today about another passion of his outside of wrestling, and that's the outdoors and hunting. And uh, basically, this is just a BS session with him. Uh, we talk about you know some exciting hunts that he's had over the years, when he got into bow hunting, um, a couple cool stories about you know hunting elk or hunting moose, and then uh, you know just 
other odds and ends that come up in this conversation. So I found it really interesting, not because he's, you know, he's literally a, you know, he's basically a legend in Iowa wrestling, but he is also a huge outdoorsman. And I love talking to people to see the other side of what really makes a person a person. So there's that. So it's, uh, I had fun interviewing it, but before we get into this, uh, this interview with Brent, here is what Exodus trail cameras, Matt Klein has to say about why you should choose an Exodus trail camera. Well, the one thing I'd say is one, the fact that people are willing to give us their hard earned money. So, you know, our products in the $200 price point, frankly, that's a day of somebody's time. You know, we come from the construction industry. That's our background. It's a big deal to us that people are willing to spend their money on us. We want to show people that when they buy Exodus, they're getting the best value in the market. Our five-year warranty um, and guarantee, our 90-day money-back guarantee, if you're not happy with your camera, you give us a call. We'll we'll totally take care of you. In fact, we'll pay the return shipping. Um, Our 50% off theft replacement policy, all of those things mean a lot. But the fact that we build our cameras to last the fact that we build our cameras for guys that are chasing big mature deer not just as novelty items like a lot of companies are building them you know our products literally are our trade that's our passion what we do what we love and every single one that goes out we test we make sure that it you're going to get a product that's working well we make sure that you're going to get a product that's working for years to come and is going to assist you in everything that we love to do as hunters and as outdoorsmen we're really excited that uh that that people are considering exodus if you guys want to find out more information about exodus trail cameras be sure to visit exodusoutdoorgear.com and i want to Send a huge shout out to Chad and Matt, the owners of Exodus Trail Cameras, for buying me a hamburger the other day on their way through Iowa. We stopped, had lunch, and uh, they picked up the tab. So thank you for the French fries, the hamburger, and the lemonade. So now let's get into today's podcast with Brent Metcalf. All right. On the phone with me now is Brent Metcalf. How are you doing today, Brent? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Well, I don't even know where to start this because, you know, everybody, you know, at least in Iowa, everybody knows you or if they follow your wrestling, uh, uh-huh. knows you yeah. from the wrestling background. But what they may not know about you is that you are a hardcore hunter as well. But before we get into all that stuff, I want to talk a little bit about how how your seasons have been going. Uh, and we'll start with turkey. How 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 was your spring this year for turkey? This was a great, actually one of the best turkey seasons I've had, just because I shot um, definitely my biggest turkey. Not that it really matters very much, but he had three beards, and he was as far as size go, one of the biggest I've ever shot. So that was exciting. It was all on film. Um, and then I shot an archery turkey that was more or less on film, but not quite as good. Um, so I was, I was glad to do that. And then I was also a- able to, um, <clears throat> take a lot of friends and things out like that, um, which I always enjoy. And it, sometimes some years you, uh, you struggle to get a turkey. So that season gets long for you. And this year I had luck really early on, but then I got to kind of enjoy the season a little more and take people out, which is something I probably enjoy more. Right. You know, guiding someone and maybe sharing someone's first experience with them sort of thing, you know? 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. I was able to do the same thing this year. I, I didn't personally get a turkey, but I got one. I called one in for my uh, wife and I called one in for my stepdad. And I consider that a success as well. So, yeah, I've been trying to get my wife to go for years and, uh, you know, four o'clock wake up in the morning. She, I, I just can't get her to do it. <laughs> so I don't know if she'd shoot the turkey or not. But I'm like, Hey, come on out. You know, we'll just, we'll get in front of them. We'll see how it goes. Ah, too early. So I'd love to take my wife. That's cool. I tell you what, I, I don't know if this would help your wife or not if she lo- likes wine, but I have to promise <laughs> a trip to a winery or buy her some wine if I if we go hunting. So it's kind of a give or take type scenario. Oh, that's how it works. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's the secret. Yeah. So how other than turkey hunting, um, what about this this 2015 archery season or well hunting season in general? Um, you know I've. I followed you on Facebook a little bit. What uh, what happened this fall? Um, this fall, after the World Championships, I uh, had a trip set up with some guys up in Alaska. And these were wrestling coaches up in Alaska, so I kind of got connected that way through a friend and a friend, et cetera, one of those sorts of things. And took us out on a moose hunt, and it ended up being something where I was actually really lucky because we ended up, we got there late, so there's only a few days season left, and they're like, well, we're going to take in there, there's not very many moose, but it's in the moose area, so it doesn't have to be 50 inches, and um, so I wasn't feeling very hopeful about it. Of course, we get there, and we're hunting for five days, and we're snowed in for half the time, and I got lucky, you know, about 30 minutes, the snow broke, and I went out looking, looking at a little different spot. We hadn't looked at found a moose, and um, I had brought my bow originally, <clears throat> because I'm kind of a, I, I would say, hardcore archery guy. Um, the only reason I say that is because that moose is probably the only thing I've ever shot with a rifle. Um, and it just got this scenario where the, the archery situation wasn't going to work, the bull wasn't responding, so I ended up having to take a 400-yard shot, and I made it, made it count. So okay. I, uh, I I got a moose, which was cool. Well, obviously, like a lot of hunters, um, something you, you always dream about was going up to Alaska and, and being able to hunt those moose, and it was a pretty amazing experience. So now my question is, did you have like an ATV or some kind of vehicle to help you pack it out, or or did you guys have to uh, pack it out on your backs? Yeah, so I was a little disappointed. So I had always in my head envisioned, you know, packing in deep, you're staying in kind of rugged tents and stuff, and and of course, if you get a moose, then you got the hard work ahead of you. Because being a wrestler and maybe the way I am, I kind of I don't know if look forward to that stuff, but that's kind of the stuff I cherish. You know, the memories that. Right. So, I get there and we go 20 miles in. It's all on four wheelers, and the guy has a cabin out in 20 miles deep in the middle of nowhere. So we're staying in a nice warm cabin, <laughs> <laughs> and um, then so I shot this moose, and I'm thinking, all right, you know, the work's going to begin now. You know, so I'm. I'm like, all right, you know, so should we go get a pass? And they're like, no, 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 just wait a few minutes. And sure enough, the guys come, they had like six wheelers and stuff. They come burrowing over these trees. And like, they got them into this place where I was like, how do you get an ATV in there? And they drove right up to it. So we just cut it up to on the back of the, uh, the six wheelers. So it wasn't quite um, the hard work that uh, I was envisioning, but the experience was still fun. And it was a different way of hunting, too. You know, I, I would right. never imagine that you could get in as deep as you could on four wheelers and hunt the type of game you can and then just get it out. You know, you can go a lot further than you typically could, let's say in the West. Right. Right. So, um, so other than your moose, how did your, how'd your whitetail season go? Whitetail season went good. Um, I 
typically when I, I scout and stuff early season and just kind of keep tabs on, um, you know, what kind of bucks are around. And what I've learned is that if I stay the heck out of the woods in October, that late, late October and November become very good. So I basically just ran my cameras and stuff all of October, and I had a number of different bucks that I was really, really excited about um, having the opportunity to hunt. And I set up a new stand, kind of less intrusive, you know, for uh, a, a, um, a Halloween hunt. And it was probably my second or third hunt of the season. And uh, sure enough, this nice buck showed up, one I'd never seen before, um, walked in front of me, and it ended up being 151 inches. And I was like, all right, you know, you hunt all season long. And where I hunt, I don't hunt down south. You know, I hunt 10 minutes outside of um, Iowa City here. And if you shoot 150 inch deer, I mean, you're doing pretty good for the area, you know? Right. And I was like, I can't pass this deer. There's a couple of deer that I really wanted to chase all year. And I was like, I'd be foolish to pass it. I had my camera set on, so I was able to film it and everything. And um, so, yeah, I shot a great deer. It was 151 inches, 40 yard shot. Um, got lucky. Um, I hit him in the shoulder, and he didn't make it very far, but I backed out. I ended up getting down from my stand. I had to belly crawl about 70 yards to stay out of sight. And then I, I came back the next morning and, and he was, he was dead right where I had last seen him. So. Good. Good. Yeah. So yeah, you know, for those two instances, uh, I mean, you sound like you had a pretty, uh, pretty successful 2015 season. Did you, did you travel anywhere else to shoot deer or any other wild game? No, I didn't. Um, because naturally with my wrestling schedule, um, the way it is, is that it's kind of a mix. So, you know, the world championships is, is the peak of our sport outside of the Olympic years, and those end in September. And then you have some downtime there, but then come November, December is when you kind of start picking your training back up. So at least for the last few years, my hunting has been more or less when I can get days and go out and, and right. you know, maybe right, I'm not going to go in this morning um, and I'll go do that. Or, I'll go in really early and get my workout in and hunt after that. It's something in a combination nature like that. So a lot of the traveling and stuff, at least during deer season, um, has been harder to do. Right, right. And to elaborate yeah. on that just a little bit, talk to us about, you know, when you were in high school, when you were in college, you know, now after, you know, after college is over, have you been, a, I mean, has that always been how it is, you know, with you, you know, you get a hunt when you have the days off because I know, College starts before November. You know you're training all the yeah, time. Yeah, August. Yep. Yep. Getting ready, yep. and then uh, same with same with high school, and, and even after it yep. sounds like. Have you been able to really dedicate yourself to a season, or has wrestling kind of always come before that? Wrestling has always been the priority. Right. It has to be. You know, you can't you can't dabble in wrestling um, if you're going to be serious about it. Um, so I guess starting back in high school, I probably didn't get serious. With hunting, so I, I've been shooting a bow since I can ever remember, like 10 or 12 years old. So for whatever reason, my dad just got me into it, and I just shot at, at a, just a target. You know, I didn't even hunt. I just shot a bow. And like anything else in the hunting world, it's all about opportunity. And it wasn't until my junior, senior year that I started to get opportunities, meet people that were basically not teach me what to do, but say, hey, here's some land. We'll learn it, you know. Um so in high school, what I can remember was very few times hunting. Um, I remember the first year I shot, 
um, I was I was asleep in the sand actually, <laughs> and I woke up and there's three does underneath me, and I I shot the biggest one I thought you know I that I saw, and as soon as I shot I saw the mama take off running I was like oh that was a big one, and um, my buddy I, so I called my buddy and because I, I don't know I, at this point I don't know how to gut you I don't know how to do it he basically said hey call me if you have any issues so I called him and. He came over and he started laughing because I had shot, you know, a little fawn. Um, <laughs> so, so he made me gut the thing there. And then, of course, he laughs about it today. Um, he takes it, chucks it, carries it over his shoulder and walks it, and walks right. it out of the woods. Right. Um, so that was kind of my early memories. And then um, coming to Iowa, well, there's, I went to Virginia first. and I, There's a long story there. But basically, once I got to Iowa, um, I still had my bow and everything back home. but you know, most of my focus was, was, was just wrestling and, and doing that. And then I got lucky and just met some people, some farmers who basically said, Hey, um, here's some land, go hunt it, go enjoy it. And so that's when I started to really get into it because obviously the, the opportunity that you have here for some really quality deer, um, is different than in Michigan, at least part of Michigan I grew up in. Um, so I started to get hooked a lot more. Right. And, um, during those times, I was probably hunting at least that first year a lot more than I probably should have been. Um, but I think my first deer I shot was 08, something like that, 2008. My first buck, I'm sorry. Um, I shot, it was 126 inches. Um, so I was, you know, obviously uh, super pumped. Biggest thing I've ever seen. Right. Um, coming from Michigan to where I was at. Um, and then that kind of woke me up to what Iowa deer hunting was all about, you know, as soon as I started to show that around the people there, yeah, that's good, but it's better out there, you know? And, um, so yeah, um, as, as far as my time goes, um, I had to kind of learn to manage it a little bit. So that first year I, I probably, like I said, probably hunted too much. And then I learned to kind of pick and choose the times that were right times for me to be out in the woods. Or like I mentioned earlier, um, I would maybe focus my efforts on, I, I'll give myself, a handful of days here in November and that's for around all October, you know? Yeah. So, so I guess how, when you started hunting, I, I take it, you, you know, you, if, if you're anything like me, you just kind of go when, when you had the time available, probably didn't run too many mm -hmm. trail cameras, didn't, didn't do a lot of scouting. Yeah. You just walked to the stand set up. How has, how has your hunting changed over the years from maybe when you first started hunting as, you know, a quote unquote rookie to, to where you're at today? Um, it's obviously changed a lot just cause you get, well, the number of things, one, you get educated by time doing it. Um, two, the resources are huge now, you know, um, that's just called the internet alone. You know, when I started the internet hardly existed, you know, you had to dial up really slow. Um, so I guess when I started, all I knew was I would just walk around and then just look for like what looked like deer trails, you know, and be like, oh, this looks like a good spot. And in Michigan, you can bait. So I would just throw a bunch of corn down and then I would set up a stand and then sit there. Right. You know, so I, didn't, I didn't know anything about like bedding areas, feeding areas, transition areas, things like that, you know? Yep. And then I would say coming to Iowa, that forced me to, where well, you can't bait, that forced me to learn about deer behavior. You know, and forced me in a quick way to learn, okay, depending on the season, depending on <clears throat> the time of year, et cetera, this stand or this type of area is going to be better than in the rut where maybe I'm looking for more of a transition zone 
and that's just experience over the years. Obviously, a lot of you know reading blogs and things on the internet like that help. Yeah. But you got to be out in the field. You got to do it. You got to do hit and miss. You know. Yep. Sit in a stand for a whole year and be like, man, those deer, they keep moving over there, over there. And then the next year you sit there and it's like, oh, well, no wonder, you know? Right. Um, so that sort of thing. So how has it evolved? And then now to trail cameras. You know, trail cameras have been huge. I don't know if trail cameras have been good for making me a better hunter. I still haven't figured out how to do the, the mystical scout a deer all summer long and then sit on him early and kill him. Right, um, right. That hasn't worked out for me. But for me, I use show cameras more for just knowing what's in the area. You know, I, I feel like I've hunted long enough that um, I love being in the woods. I love the process of hunting. I love, um, to me, it's almost like a a battle where you're trying to outsmart that buck, you know. Or um, So I love that process. So for me, it's a good way for me to get an idea of what's out there, you know. And versus you see and, and and even to me i mean i haven't hunted that long but i've hunted for a lot of years you see a deer and you're like whoa that was huge you know you want to grab your bow and maybe the two-year-old has great genetics you know um so that's what trail cameras at least have allowed me to do is to see a lot of these deer in advance so that it's like okay i see that deer all right maybe i'll pass that deer because i know he's young and there's some older ones out here that, that I'd like to target. So that's more what I would use my trail cameras for um, now compared to whatever. So going into a season, you know, you use your trail cameras and, and maybe from hunting a piece of property for several years and you kind of get to know a couple deer and you mm-hmm. kind of get to know their patterns and stuff. Do you have um, a goal or uh, maybe a standard of type of buck that you want to kill at the – you know, at the beginning of every season, or is it completely what kind of mood you're in when you're sitting in the tree that day? No, I have a goal. I, at, at least where I'm at, you know, I've gone, I think it, I think up to this year, it's been four years since I've shot a deer, which is been perfectly fine with me because I've saw a lot of awesome things in the tree stand. And for me, it's just a mature deer. So, I mean, <laughs> no one can really tell. I can't really tell, but you, you get an idea when a deer is four, five, six, you know, you can kind of tell that at least. Um, so looking for a mature deer, obviously score. I mean, there, um, it's less about score, but that's part of the game. Um, I remember there was a deer that passed three or four times, uh, two years ago. That was a 14 point, um, but clearly a three year old, you know, and I definitely, if I hadn't had trail cameras, I would have shot that deer instantly, you know, right. uh, just because you see all those points, you know, but I'd seen them consistently on a trail camera and I was like, this deer, you know, he's the size of my index finger. Right. Well, that's his mass. He just he doesn't have the age yet. And if I could wait a couple of years, you know, do something really, really awesome, you know. Yeah. So yeah, going into the season, I'm looking for a mature deer, a good representation of the property. So, like I said earlier, a good representation of the property that I hunt is 150 inches. If you can hit 150, um, you're doing really well in that property. Um, obviously, down south, um, that number gets bigger. Right. Right. So. You know, you talk about some of the property that you hunt. Uh, are you hunting on property you own, property you lease, private property just from knocking on doors, public ground? What's your uh, What's your property like? Well, it depends. So turkey hunting, I do a variety um, of the public and private because I the, the private land that I hunt with deer um, has a ton of turkeys on it. But I also, myself and friends, the act, I don't know if the, act, the access is the right word, but I think there's less people out turkey hunting, you know? Right. So 
um, when you step on public ground, you're not bumping into a bunch of people. And when you drive the road, you're seeing them out in the fields, you know, so um, they're more active. You can make a play on them sort of thing. Okay. But then my, my deer hunting is, is solely private land, and that's only because, like I said, I just early on, I got some, a couple guys that just gave me really awesome opportunities. And they, they're not leases. They're just great guys who I've developed great relationships over the years. And it's like, hey, um, these deer are eating my corn. I'd love for you to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> sort of thing, you know? Right, right. So when it comes to I, for me uh, and you know you said you're kind of a hardcore bow hunter as of mm-hmm. as of this time in my life I'm not really huge into shot the shotgun season um are yeah. you doing shotgun season as well or cuz the property that I hunt has shotgun hunters so I I uh-huh. I just stay off it um when it's shotgun season do you pick up the shotgun I do um and the only reason why is that the, the farmer whose land that I hunt on um, he, he likes hunt, you know, he likes to hunt, he likes to shoot deer, but more importantly, he, he likes to meet, you know? Um, so my kind of take on it is kind of, not that I'm giving back, but the way that you hunt here in Iowa is you do the drive and stuff, which that's part of the reason I don't like it. Because to me, ethical isn't the word, but like when you're sitting there and you got like 40 deer driving by you, you know, running by you, it just don't feel right. You know, right. it doesn't feel... And, and, and you know what? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying for me and in in, in the way that I approach the sport, it just doesn't doesn't do it for me. So my kind of approach to it is always, hey, I'm going to go and be another body for these guys. So this is a small group of his friends and family, right. et cetera. Um, and I, I have a shotgun with me, but, I mean, I've taken just does and stuff like that. Um, obviously, if a, if a giant stepped in front of me, I would not hesitate to shoot him. <laughs> yeah, right. But, um, you know, I just haven't had that opportunity. So for me, I, I do it. Um, but it's more a way of just giving back to the farmer. Uh, I love being out in the field, so it gives me more reason to, to go out there and hunt and, and learn more about the property that I'm hunting, you know. But if I own the land, um, I, I I wouldn't be pushing it, you know. Right. Just because, for me, I'm more about let's develop the habitat. Let's give them a place, a good, cozy place to live. Um, let's let's take care of the herd. You can you can manage the herd in a lot. I don't know better ways, but for me, different ways than chasing around the woods and and uh, shooting. And, and that's the other thing is, I mean, I know if a deer's at forty yards, and obviously without him ducking, you know, I'm going to make a great shot on him. Or if he's at twenty, I'm going to make a great shot on him. A deer running at forty yards and with a shotgun in my hand, I mean, I'm apt to hit him in the leg and then maybe the other leg, and then hopefully my buddy puts him down, sort of thing. So. From a purist point of view, um, that kind of gets at me a little bit too, you know. Right, right. Yeah, man, I can re- I can definitely relate on that end. I've, I don't know if I've shotgun hunted in like I want to say probably ten years. So it's been it's been a, a long time since I've uh, got the shotgun out. But on this, I know a lot of guys that do it and have a ton of success. Yeah. Um, and it's less that way. It's more like they're doing soft pushes, and then you kind of get these bucks up on their feet and stuff and moving and maybe they're sitting in a stand sort of thing. And that's good. I mean, there's a hundred different ways to hunt and, and that's great. And then you're making maybe a little better shot cause it's not on a full, full blown sprint. But at least my experience is, is that they're herded up and they're running hard. And I mean, it's, it's hard. I mean, in general, you shouldn't be shooting at a moving target, you know, but that's right. kind of the name of the game um, in shotgun hunting. So, right. So 
are you having to share, let's say when you, when you got an archery hunt, you know, when you got your archery tag and you're, you're out there mm-hmm. bow hunting, are you sharing uh, property or sharing ground with any, any other bow hunters or are you able to kind of hunt some unpressured stuff? Cause I know, you know, everybody I talked to, I got plenty of buddies up in Michigan and they're like, man, there's 55 million hunters or, you know, whatever that crazy number is, you know, there's tons of hunters up there, lots of pressure, just hunting completely different. And on some of the properties that, that you're hunting down here, what's the pressure from other hunters like? Well, it's kind of hit or miss. Um, I would say in general, it's just me by myself. Um, there are, um, at certain times of years, there's, there's two different ones that I call him a kid, but he's in college, you know, and then there's another guy who will hunt. Um, and it's like, I, I, I don't ever hardly see him. And if I do, it's maybe once a year. So they're maybe, I don't know, dedicated to the word, but they're not dedicated to it as much as I am. Um, and I just try to stay in communication with them. Um, and last year was a good example where the, the, the older guy, um, he was hunting in a particular spot and without giving too much away, I was kind of like, Hey, you know, there's this particular deer right here, you know, maybe move to this spot, you know, because ultimately, um, and people get caught on this too. This is my deer. This is, it, you know, my, my property, my deer. Ultimately, if, if I can help that guy shoot one of the, the giants that I saw was after, um, I mean, that's, that's awesome. You know, great. Let me get, let me put my hands on him and good because that deer is just as apt to cross the road and jump into someone else's property and then some other dude shoots them, you know? So people, at least friends I've hunted with in the past, are like, oh, I don't want to shoot any of your big ones. I'm like, you're crazy, man. I don't own these deer. You know, let's just go out, and and if you get something, if you see something you like, and we'll take it, you know? Right. So, um, yeah, I I try to just, as far as the communication goes, just know, like, hey, this is where I'm at. This is where you're going to be at. Let's try not to mess each other up sort of thing, you know? Um, and that's kind of the approach I take with it, you know? Right. So, you know, we've talked a little bit now about, you know, you know, you know, a little bit about strategy, some of the property that you're hunting, but I want to go all the way back to the beginning now. And uh, you mentioned your dad bought you a bow. How, how old were you when you started, I guess, shooting a bow and how old were you when you, you know, you decided to go out and do your very first hunts? I would say I was probably 10 or 12 years old. Um, my dad bought bows for my bro- both my brother and I. They might have been hand-me-downs, whatever. It felt like a brand new toy, you know. And um, I don't know why I didn't hunt. I don't know. I don't remember if there were age restrictions or, or what there was. I know that my dad was a, um, very busy with his work, so it, it, was, it would have been tough for him to maybe take us out um, and, and, and show us how to do it. But we lived on... Ironically, looking back at it, I'm like, man, I was crazy. We lived at 15 acres that flooded up to like thousands of acres of public land, you know? So looking back, I'm like, why wasn't I hunting, you know? Um, But I just, for whatever reason, didn't do it. But I continued to shoot my bow. I continued to love or have a passion for archery. Um, And then it got into where I met some friends who they were into hunting. And then I started going with them, you know, where they would maybe take me to their spots and stuff and then put me... Um, in front of deer, teach me some things like that. Um, so that's kind of where it started. Um, like I said, probably my, whatever my junior year in high school would be. So I'm 16, 17 years old, something like that. It's probably the first time I actually sat in a, in a deer stand and hunted. Okay. And then you, so how, so then how old were you when you shot your, 
that first doe you said you're you were a junior so it was that first year so it was that okay, first yeah. year so my aunt had some property that had some trees on it and stuff. um looking back at it it wasn't much of a property but she was like yeah i think there's deer back here so i went back and i just went wandering and like i said you know i looked for deer shows i tried tried and, and missed on a lot of different spots and then finally i saw a spot I was like, oh there's like five trails converging here that's be a great spot and, and um sure enough I was able to shoot doe, but at that time, you know, it's funny looking back, you know, I didn't know anything about, I didn't know anything about anything. So I didn't know about rut or, or any of that stuff. So it was probably like really early October, you know, which no wonder I'm, I'm struggling. It's hot out, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there hunting um, all day long, you know? Um, so looking back, I kind of laugh at myself. I'm like, why was I even hunting? I should have just waited till November. Um, for sure. There would have been deer up on their feet moving then, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as you got older and, uh, you know, bow hunting is definitely a sport of trial and error and learning from your failures. Mm -hmm. What were some of, what were some of the biggest failures that I guess caused the best education for you? Oh, biggest failures. Um, I could think of my my first failure, I guess you could call it. Um, when I first moved in, I first got that period to hunt on a little bit smaller farm, a different guy that I hunt with now. Um, I called my dad and said, Hey, I got an opportunity to hunt, send me my bow and stuff. And, and, um, so he sent me my stuff and he sent me like five different arrows. I, I mean, I don't even know if they're his arrows, my brother's <laughs> arrows. And I went out and, uh, after a couple of days of hunting, I had a, a buck come across and it's probably, you know, one or two year old deer, little eight point, you know, a little basket rack. And, um, I shot and then completely missed. And I was so mad. I was like, what the heck? You know, I'm way better at this. And, and then I got, <laughs> that's where I kind of learned like, okay, like your equipment needs to be tuned. <laughs> your equipment, you know, you make sure that all your screws are tied. Yeah. I remember the site, like after I went home, I was like, wait, these the little fingers on the site are loose. So they're moving kind of up and yeah. down. A little bit. Um, so that's one of the first things I learned. And then obviously the, the normal things, which is, um, you know, when you, where you set up your, uh, your tree stand, you know, um, giving yourself a good advantage on the trail, um, start to learn, you know, you're sitting in a tree stand and you keep wondering, why am I keep blowing all these deer? Well, well, wait, the wind actually makes a difference. I can't just go hunt in a tree stand because it, it seems like a, a, a good spot. You know, well, of course I'm not seeing any deer. The wind are blowing right into where they're bedding at. Right. Um, so those sorts of things, um, can't say I've had any like really bad, misses or anything like that but more just learning how to hunt you know and that's one thing that um looking at like blogs and stuff you know if i had to critique anything it's like man it's probably out there but like we could really use like a a very beginner's guide to like all right say all the stuff that you think is is um just common sense you know um as far as where to put a stand and as far as you know when you're hunting and, and what does it look like to have a bedding area and what does it look like to have a food source or whatever. Um, those were things I just, I had to learn, you know? Right. Right. So I guess on your train, you know, on your transition from Michigan hunting to Iowa hunting, you know, now let's, let's tell maybe just a cool story. What, um, did you, have you, what was your best Iowa tree stand set? Maybe like a day in the rut where you saw like just a ton of deer or maybe you saw your first deer fight or, or anything like that. And it, and it was kind of an eye opener for you that was like, Oh my God, this is way different than Michigan. 
I would go back to when I, it finally occurred to me to quit hunting as many days as I possibly can in October. Um, once I quit doing that, um, I started to really see movement. Well, two things. Um, one is that, and two is I started to experiment with, so naturally when you first begin hunting, you're like, all right, you know, um, you know, I want to sit on this field edge, you know, if I can sit here, I can see a really long ways. I'll be able to see where the deer are doing, what they're doing. Once I got away from that and I started thinking like, okay, let's hunt between where these deer are at and where they want to be, you know, because they're going to hit that field, but most likely it's going to be at night or at least the bucks are going to be there at night. Um, so that was number one. And then number two, the biggest thing was, like I said, just not hunting every day in October. You know, I would just hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt and it just wasn't having success. So then finally I was like, Hey, you know, like once I learned about the rut, you know, I was like, how about I just stay out? And it killed me the first year to stay out of the woods, you know? <laughs> um, I think oh, I'm missing all these great opportunities, you know? And, um, and then that's that first year I did it. I mean, it was instant results. It was like, I saw so many deer, bucks on their feet running. Um, I saw, I don't know about fights necessarily, but you know, the scrape activity and stuff like that. And that's when it kind of clicked for me where I was like, wow. All right. Um, continue to stay out of the woods in October. <laughs> and, um, and then naturally I've learned, um, each property, so I've got two different sets I hunt, you know, each one kind of comes in at different seasons, if that makes sense. So I've learned that you know, certain parts of this property are best to hunt in that late October. And then later, you know, in the first week of November, I've learned that that, that little area is better. Um, and I don't know if it's that the does are coming into heat or, or what exactly it is, but, um, just learning those different things has been huge for me that has success in the field, I guess, you know? Right. Right. Now, I guess what kind of hunter are, are you? I mean, do you have your, your spots that you are historically good? So like when the rut does start coming in and, uh, you're ready to go. You got your tree stands already set and you just kind of, um, you know, you, you go to your historically good spots or are you, are you fairly mobile where if you start seeing activity in one area, you can tear down and, and, and go over and you're bouncing between different sets all, all season long. Um, well, here, let me go back. Let me go back. So I forgot to tell you this. So my best hunt, I'll tell you my best hunt was my biggest buck at 160 inches. Um, that was, and it kind of translates to this, uh, this story or what you asked there, right. um, was one where I had been hunting all season in traditional spots that were really good. And then I kind of thrown the towel in and, you know, it was getting to be where wrestling was starting to pick up and I said, I need to quit hunting so much. I just want to go kill a deer and be done with it. And I knew that there was this kind of funnel where, um, a lot of does were always coming out. They were just funneling down this like thin timber edge, funneling through and then going out in the field. So I was like, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to walk in there with my climber. And I'll just set up and, and hopefully they walk by me and, um, you know, I can harvest the dough, you know, I'll just be happy with that. And then I can quit worrying about hunting and, and get, get the business with my wrestling, you know? Um, and then <clears throat> that, that was the day where randomly the minute I, cl- I climbed up in that tree, I sat down and I looked up and he was standing there 120 yards in front of me with two does. And I was like, wow, I just got in here like two minutes later and I was spooked him. <laughs> right. And sure enough, he came right at me. Um, 35 yard shot, and um, I was able to to catch him. Um, so that was probably my best hunt, just because it's my biggest year, but also just the funniness of the story, you know. But as far as how I hunt, um, I'm a mixture of both. I would say I probably need to practice more patience um, in the spots that I have. 
you know, so I naturally, um, when I'm hunting, I'm always like, oh, I should move over there. Oh, I should move, you know, that's a better spot. I should move there. So I find myself doing that a lot. Yeah. Um, and probably hurts me more than it helps me. Um, sometimes you learn things, you know, sometimes when you sit in a different spot, you see different, you know, you see different things. Um, but I also have learned, so where I hunt in particular, you know, obviously the crops are going on rotation, you know, so they've got beans, corn, so it depends on the year. So, um, deer typically move a certain way, but if, if they're standing corn over here, and you're sitting on the side of the woods where all the cut beans are, you know, you probably need to be over near the standing corn. So that's where um, being mobile would help in an instance like that. And then in particular, where I hunt, there's a connected to this, say I hunt about 70 acres of timber. Um, there's about a 300-acre cornfield that sometimes you leave up till December. <laughs> so that really hurts you. So that's where I become really mobile and I start moving around and just trying to pick off because these deer are living out in that field, you know, so trying to learn um, where they're coming from and if I can maybe make a jump on them because obviously I'm sitting in the timber, I'm not seeing anything. Right, you know? right. Um, so advice, I guess, um, a mixture of both. I think um, being willing to be mobile is good, especially in instances like I just explained where circumstance change, that field isn't cut this year, that corn is standing, you probably need to make a move. You know, if you're sitting on the other end with uncut beans, you're probably um, going to be out of the game, you know? And then obviously, I I don't know how many stands I've got. I've got probably five, six, seven that I have up, but I probably only have two or three that I hunt. Um, and then those other ones, I feel like I'm constantly moving them, you know? So I have my my two or three stands that over the years, I know that these are just travel corridors. They're, they're spots where I always see deer, buck movement during the rut. Um, and the other ones are like ones where I'm kind of testing them out sort of thing, you know? And then I have a climber. Typically, I'll go in with a climber, and that's where I'll do my first couple of sits. You know, and I'll take that in because it's easy in and out. Um, and then if it becomes something where I'm like, all right, I want to spend more time here, then I'll move one of my stands, and I'm like, ah, that was not so good, uh, and move it over there. So, again, um, I think it's it's a good strategy. I think that probably a lot of people would say moving around and bumping here. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I tell you what, man, I, I'm a I'm a firm uh, believer in the saying, first time in, best time in. So Absolutely. I, yeah, uh, the deer I shot this year was, a, I set the stand up the night before, sat, sat it the next day, shot the deer. And I don't know why that is, um, but it just it seems to, to be that way, right. you know? Right. So, you know, as you're, uh, as you're hunting, you know, your, I guess you want to call it a career or everybody kind of progresses in different ways. You know, mm -hmm. you, you shot a couple big, big bucks. Do you have any, you know, dreams or aspirations of traveling outside Iowa now to different states or, or maybe heading out West for a different type of big game? What, uh, or, or do you even have any currently on your radar for this upcoming season? Um, uh, yes, I have gone West. Um, I've been elk hunting. I shot elk with my bow in 2012. Um, that was my first time out, and then I've gone out twice since to Colorado is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Colorado and had some awesome um, experiences, but just wasn't able to connect. And again, that's a whole other learning. I mean, it's a whole other set of um, tools <laughs> or education that you got to pick up that I just I haven't quite grasped yet. Right. Um, but I love it. I mean, if you had to pick one game to hunt year round, it would be elk during the ride <laughs> so because it's like turkeys i tell people it's like turkeys but they're just huge right, you know right. um 
why don't you walk us through that uh, that elk hunt? What you know? Um, yeah. What was your you know? Did did you have to draw? Was it a general tag type of yep. scenario, or why don't you just walk us through that entire uh, you know the the planning up until the actual hunt? Yeah. Um, again, it was a scenario where I knew some people through wrestling, and they said, "Hey, you can come out, and we'll just we'll open up the doors to you, and then you can go explore and do do your own thing." Um, I went out there with a buddy. Phil Teddy, who was from Utah, so he had some, um, I say some, he'd probably say he had a lot, but I say he had some experience <laughs> hunting the West. Um, so I figured, right, you know, we'll just come around and, and see how it goes. And um, yeah, I mean, basically, from what I remember, it was 12. So it was, we were probably there eight days total. Um, so the first seven days were just nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, a few little encounters and then nothing, nothing. Um, one awesome encounter. We saw like a three plus 300 plus bull. Uh, he was a hundred yards away. And that's where I started to kind of learn like the meadows and the transition areas and, and, and the dust timbers and stuff like that, because we totally just misread that bull. You know, we, we were thinking maybe with our white tail mines and he just had a different set of plan. And, and after it went down, it's like, Oh, of course he's going to use kind of that, um, drainage just pushes cows up through that way why are we sitting over here sort of thing you know right um so it was seven hard days of hunting um we did a mixture uh we knew guys in town so we'd stay at their place and then we'd hunt kind of out there and do day hunt and then we tried where we went in and um we stayed three days you know three four miles in camped and then hunted from that location um and then since then that's kind of what we've stuck with more of that is trying to get deeper in and it basically came down to, now this is where I give my buddy credit, you know, we're sitting up there, this is the last day, and we kind of had a perch that we'd get on, and there were a bunch of meadows below. We kind of learned, like, okay, if we can hear or find the elk, we can, we're above them so that we could try to make a play on where they're going to come back up, you know? Um, and this, that day, there was just nothing. No bugles, nothing. Um, and, okay, I'm, I'm going to tell you, sorry, this is all just over-the-counter land. There's no draw, um, nothing like that. So this is kind of just rolled this stuff is just right off the road um, that anyone could hunt. Um, so we're walking out, and there's another meadow which you hadn't seen any elk in or any sign of elk in, and I'm leaving. I'm like, I'm already down the trail heading towards the truck, and my buddy's like, ah, let me look over here. I'm like, there's nothing over there. <laughs> and um, sure enough, he just takes five steps off the trail and looks. He's like, dude, there's two elk, there's two bulls down there. Um, so all we did was we just snuck up on him. The wind was in, 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 in a great spot. Um, and we were able to sneak up on him about uh, 70 yards or so. Was how close we got before we started making any noise. And um, very grateful to my buddy who um, he had he had taken an elk um, before in the past. So he was like, "Hey, this is you. You know, like, you know, make sure try to get you one." Um, so we started calling once we got that close. And um, again, like I, I didn't know what I was doing, and I, I heard the shot. Um, cause I'm like, this, he spooks and I'm standing out in the middle. And so they start coming and I'm standing out in the middle of the open, you know, I didn't know that I had like a ton of trees behind me. I was in the shade. So I was in a pretty good spot where like he wasn't, cause as long as I didn't move, he wasn't going to see me, you know? Um, so he was quartered to me coming at me and ended up being about a 45 yard shot. I thought it was more like 55. So I shot and spined him. Um, and then that was the issue from there. Um, but little did I know. After I shot, I looked back and my buddy was drawn on his 
on that other elk because that other elk was at 40 yards. <laughs> and I started screaming, I shot him, I shot him. And I turn around and he, he, he drops his bow and looks at me, like shakes his head, like, man, like we could have doubled up on these bulls, dude. Like, whoop, shut your mouth. <laughs> um, but it was good. There was no, you know, it was, it was all great because I shot my first elk. Um, it was a little five by five or four. I call it five by five. He had a little nub, you know? Um, so yeah. And then of course, you know, I'm sounding kind of like a sissy here. So of course, I'm like, all right, we got to pack him out. Well, this, he's able to, where I shot him at, he kind of, he's able to use his back legs and he makes it kind of to, um, maybe like 300 yards away down on this gravel road is where he died and right. fired. And sure enough, we call our local buddies and we're like, hey, we got the cell phone, we're pack it out. And like, where are you at? And like, ah. Don't do anything. We'll be there in an hour with the four-wheelers. <laughs> <laughs> so they were able to sneak in there. Not sneak in, but it was legal to drive in on four-wheelers and take them on the four-wheelers. So I have experience to pack out, though, because on that trip, um, the, the local kid, he had drawn a really good unit, and he'd shot like a 340 bull back about three miles in. So we all went in and, and packed that bull out. So I do have one experience where, where I had to feel the pain of packing out a big old bull on your back. So, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I tell you what, my, uh, the listeners have already heard this story several times, but I'll tell you my, my first trip to Idaho was this last uh, September and I was mm-hmm. doing some elk hunting up in the mountains. It was like a three hour pack in. And then, uh, we camped on the mountain for a couple days, but, or I'd say five days, but it rained every day so we were stuck in our tent. yeah we were stuck in the tent a lot and when we finally did get up into the you know mountains they were really high up in the elevation way back off the mm-hmm. you know, off the trailhead and uh we ran into a lot of other hunters and it was it, yeah we heard bugles but i mean it was a long ways away we never did get you know close to anything other than a couple moose you know uh, scooted by us but uh that's definitely something something i don't know about you that i want to experience as much as possible while i have some kind you know my quote unquote youth you know what i mean yeah yeah it's it's a whole different um game out there and and if we got time i'll tell another story where this this last year you know so this is our yeah last year the year before you know i'm thinking that i'm on top of it a little more so we plan in we're going to go in six miles you know hike in and be in some uncharted territory and it was a situation where we hiked in six miles with 60 pounds on our pack, and it killed me to get in there. And we get there, and there's like five camps set up. <laughs> and it was like unbelievable. And so, I mean, I, we were just like, we're not hunting this. I mean, we hunted for a day, and there's guys tromping around drinking beer on their horses and stuff. Because they're packing horses, and we're walking, and they got horse, you know, pack right. horses. Right. So we stayed the night and just packed out the very next morning. And um, it just kind of goes to show how edge you know so I, I was talking to the local guy and he's like man you guys are crazy let me take you out and he took me in because we literally walked 400 yards off like we got out of his car about 400 yards and we were in an area where just bulls were going crazy bugling and it was right off the road it was in a little cranny where it's like you look at it like there's no there's no elk in there all the elk are way back in back and it's one of those things where learning the, the territory or learning the mountains and, and, and knowing where the elk like to kind of hold up, especially in that public land. Um, obviously, if you could get really, really deep, you, you could have success or there could be a bunch of people there. Um, but it kind of clicked to me where I'm like, geez, you know, look how 
I say educated, but these guys know this land so well that um, we busted our tails for basically nothing, and 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 they're able to just with the fact that they've grown up there their whole lives. Um, they're just educated to know like where these elk are and stuff like that. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it is definitely a blast. Um, a, another great story is um, we were out near where I shot my bull the first time. And uh, we're up on that cliff, and there are bulls doing below. So we kind of said, screw it. We're going to go down after them. We start rock climbing down this cliff edge. And all of a sudden, a bull bugles. And the minute we started rock climbing, right where we just were standing up above us. <laughs> and he comes all the way to the cliff edge and bugles, and he's drooling like snot on top of our heads. And we're just, like, looking up at him. And he's, no like, way. 15 yards straight above us. No way. And we're just, like, kicking ourselves. Like, what did we do? <laughs> There's an elf right on top of us. And we're trying to go down after this one. Who's, who knows where he's at? Um, so you know, we just had to sit there. And he was cool. I mean, two or three minutes, and he just bugling and, you know, just all pissed off. And, like I said, the snot. That was the coolest thing to me. It was just the snot drooling down. Um, so, yeah, it's awesome. And, like you said, um, it's tough with, I've, I've got oh, my wife, I've got two kids, so it's tough for me to, to go and escape like that. Um, but any opportunity I get to, or I will get, maybe hopefully get to in the future, um, I jump on top of it. Right, right. So do you have any dream hunts? I mean, anything you're saving, you're saving for or starting to collect points for? You know, I'm really behind in the point game. Um, I keep fighting it. You know, I, I guess I'm at that stage where I'm like, Ah, screw that. I don't want to be putting in for 15 years. There's enough. I know there's another way I can get it. I know that I can meet somebody or I can, um, somehow find a way to chase those big horn sheep, et cetera, you know? Right. Um, but the reality is you probably should be putting in. And so the only points I do is I, I know a guy out in Wyoming who, um, who I hunt with. So he's got an area out there that I've got five points now. Um, so hopefully that should be a really good area once I finally draw for an elk out there. Um, hoping to go out with him this year and do a mule deer hunt. That might be my first mule deer hunt and probably pair that with an antelope hunt. I haven't done antelope in the past. I've, I've had the opportunity to, but it was just one of those things was over the counter. And as far as my schedule goes, it was like, well, you know, I could come back any year, any year, you know, let me, I'll just pick a time that works. So hopefully, you know, again, I have to draw this mule deer tag. And I, hopefully I do. Uh, and I'll probably pair that up and do that this year. And then, um, as far as dream hunts go, I would have always said moose. I would have said grizzly bear uh, with my bow. Um, and so moose and grizzly bear are, st- are still uh, still on my radar, but those are becoming more possible just because I'm developing some really good relationships um, with people in Alaska and um, where I'm kind of like, okay, you know, like I can I can make this happen sort of thing, you know? Right. Um, where it doesn't seem impossible anymore. It seems like you know, when you first look at it, it seems like an impossible adventure, but then once you get there and you do it, it's like, man, like, it's just the know-how. You know, it's not even that much money. You know, it's your flight or, you know, if you're going to drive a long way, but it's it's not, it doesn't take $25,000 to, if you want to be outfitted, but it doesn't take $25,000 for you to pack up, drive to Alaska or fly and kill a moose. It just right. takes the know-how, you know? And right. kind of realizing that is kind of, settled that dream a little bit because I'm like, oh, it's possible. You know, like, I can do it. It's just a matter of me finding the time to do it and then actually, you know, getting lucky and getting in the situation where, where I can do it. Um, but as far as dreams go, definitely uh, the sheep. The sheep with a bow would be huge. And I know that that's a huge challenge and people look at me like I'm crazy. Um, but being the wrestler that I am and the way that I set goals in wrestling, 
um, I'm kind of the same way with hunting. And um, to me, it would just it would be huge if I could go. Um, obviously, a, a doll would be would be awesome, but but a big horn and let's just do them all. You know, right? <laughs> well. Let's start with one. <laughs> let's start with one. Get one with a bow would be uh, would be pretty amazing. And and just because of again who I am and the type of hunting that it is. I mean, you you're not driving a four wheeler to a sheep. You're driving a four wheeler to the base of the mountain, and then you get off, and then you got to walk to the top. Right. And you got to hike, and you got to camp, and you got to put in time. And maybe you'll get lucky, but you're going to have to put in a whole lot of work um, to get to them. And to me, that would be a huge, huge reward. Um, and especially if I was able to do it with my bow and arrow, um, just because, like I said, the passion I have for it, kind of the connection that I have with with archery. Um, so yeah, sheep. I call it sheep. <laughs> right, right. Well, I tell you what, Brent. I re- you know I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, uh, you know, come on the show and talk hunting. And, uh, you know, I, I love the stories and I love, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, how you got to where you are today as far as hunting is concerned. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. And there you have it. Another one down on this Thursday. Huge shout out to Brent for coming on the show and talking about, uh, you know, his past, his uh, hunting and all the the stories that go along with it. Uh, If you guys want to find out more about what Brent is doing in the outdoor world, go ahead and visit antlerathlete.com. And uh, he has kind of a blog and some videos posted there that he does with uh, another guy, James Vandenberg. So uh, give that a look. Huge shout out to you guys, the listener. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. If you guys haven't already, be sure to subscribe to iTunes or Stitcher. That's where a majority of people listen to the blog or Bean Pod or, or any other place. Just subscribe to it. Spread the word. Um, join me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. And uh, we do a lot of cool prizes and giveaways and stuff like that. Um, it's where I post a lot of my pictures. This time of year, I'm posting pictures of um, my velvet bucks as it, as I check my trail cameras. But um, yeah, go visit you know the social media and always be sure to visit NineFingerChronicles.com. That's where I post my blog and uh, I also post the the podcast there as well. And uh, another huge shout out to exodus trail cameras for uh basically straight up they're being a sponsor of this show they help me uh pay the the cost you know i guess associated with this podcast and the hosting fees and all the other crap that goes along with having a website and a podcast but a uh, huge shout out to uh, exodus trail cameras and honestly guys if you haven't checked them out already go visit their website it's exodusoutdoorgear.com i know trail cameras are you know, for me, I've had my trail cameras out for a month or so now. Um, so I love this time of year checking the the growth, the velvet, and all that stuff. And uh, it's just it, it's just another fun little thing to do throughout the the year to make uh, hunting not just a basically a two month sport. So you know, check it out. And uh, if you guys do decide to purchase an Exodus trail camera, be sure to enter the code nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will receive twenty dollars off of your purchase so there's that and until next time be sure to wear your damn safety harness